Good to see you. It's yeah. been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has been a while. And we've been like meaning to go live for a while too. So nice. You've had some big things in between. You have your festival coming up next next week? Yeah, on Tuesday. It's like my um this is like my fourth book. It's to celebrate that. So this is the proof copy, that's why it has a line over there. Um Yes. Love that. Yeah, it's like this one's actually less, it's probably like maybe thirty five percent but the other ones have been a lot more but it's still like each person has their thing and you got to deal with each you know what i mean so it's it's just a, it's been a little overwhelming um, yeah <laughs> but it's good i was just gonna say i was gonna, gonna repa- recap the story of how we met because that day i think i've told you this before too but it was just i don't normally go out and so me <laughs> even going out was kind of like okay I'm, I'm doing this i'm going out with some girlfriends and um Right before I walked in, and this had been several things leading up to this moment, I was like, the word Frida kept coming up to me, and my plant's name was Frida. I kept seeing pictures of Frida, and I was like, that is so prevalent to me today. I don't know why. I even said this to my friend. I was like, I wonder what that means. I'm being followed by the word Frida, the name Frida. And then I walk up to you and meet you, and then you show me your book, and then you start telling me about your mother, and I happen to ask her name, and you're like, her name was Frida. That was just so profound for me, because I was like, wow, all day has been leading me to this one moment. So when I met you, I was like, okay, we were meant to meet. It's so wild. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's, it's been like, as I've been doing these festivals and starting with Don't Block Your Blessings, so that one, like people just sharing positivity, which kind of mm-hmm. was like the beginning of all of this. And just hearing, I guess people connect to the story a bit and then sometimes remember the name. So even like Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips, hearing these people say Frida, live or not, or whatever, Frida, or whatever. It's like, it's so crazy. Definitely keeps me super connected. It's been wild. There was one rabbi, he wrote Living Inspired and Letters to a Buddhist Jew. These two books that I read a long time ago. And he was like a massive inspiration. And somehow I got connected or reconnected to him and he agreed to do the festival. And at the end of the whole thing, I'm like watching him. He's completely brilliant. Akiva Tats is his name, Rabbi Akiva Tats. At the end of the whole thing, he's just like, this is it for the soul elevation for Frida Livona, but Shalom. And I'm just like, oh my God, this author, like this rabbi author, spiritual guru that I've been reading and following and he's shouting out <laughs> my mom. Like, it's crazy. That's you know? incredible. And she has such a powerful spirit. I feel it in your work. like. I haven't read your book, the one that you gave me from start to finish, but every once in a while, it'll call out to me in my shelf. I'll pick it up and just open a page and read it. Nice. But I, I still feel her energy around it. And so clearly that's your, your inspiration a lot of the time too. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to add that story in because. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, exciting. those are my favorite parts of life, you know, where you're connected, like you feel this sort of like soul connection you like talk to a person you break out of your shell once i know people i'm super comfortable you know what i mean but like if i go to like a networking thing or like even a dating thing like i just like close up i'm like i can't i don't know i'm like overthinking things i'm like not talking to people it feels like unnatural or something the setting Mm -hmm. when you feel like drawn or whatever and then you like talk to somebody and it's like oh okay like just makes sense you know and like you just feel super connected it just those moments are like okay life is just full of infinite possibilities because when you meet somebody who you feel connected to that you didn't know prior you're like oh that's Mm -hmm. like that's so crazy you know what i mean this person's been Mm -hmm. existing and just that moment um 
you know, and like, you never know, like that just happens all the time. So anytime you feel down about something, like you have to remember all these infinite possibilities that are still like waiting to unfold, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. uh, you know, Jill, like we just met. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I met a lot of like really dope people that night, actually. I don't remember everybody's name because it was like a lot and you know what I mean? But one of the women who's like super dope came to my event like last week or two weeks ago. I was doing this Israeli-Palestinian hip hop show with my, my homie uh, Salma Zakut. He like raps by Saz and he has this project called Dugli with like a Israeli person that he's in with. And it's just like, it was so dope. Like I'm like, everybody needs to attend this thing because they're coming at it from all the different sides. There's like one song that's just, they're each saying all the things that the other side is like thinking or saying like at worst, you know, like F you because of this and this and this and that side of the story. So they're both bringing that to light at like yelling at each other, but like through rap. And then there's like a peace version of it. And then they're just kind of like telling their stories and how they're trying to in their own lives, at least create peace and dialogue and just like being super open and bringing each other into each other's families and extended families and friends. And it's just it's dope just how they approach it and how they talk about it and just like very refreshing and eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So one of the people from that night came out and Adia is just like, she she just can manifest like epicness and good people. Like you could tell, you know, like I met her actually at Trader Joe's <laughs> at UCLA. No way. Yeah, I was just there randomly. And then she was just wearing, some, like she just looked cool, you know? And I was probably in the middle of producing some short film or something. I don't know. I was in some creative space that I'm like, okay, this person, you know? So we were just like talking. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I mean, we've done a bunch together. She's been at my house a bunch for like Shabbat dinner and we just kind of like into my shows and just met people through her. And she did the Don't Block a Blessing Festival. But yeah, she's dope. She's so dope. Yeah. <laughs> I, did a ceremony, I did a ceremony with her a couple months ago too. So nice. yeah, I love her a lot. What's going on with uh, the project that you're working on that we're like trying to help with the deck and whatever? <laughs> Conscious cooking. Yeah. So, I don't know if you want to talk about it. I mean, that's always in the works. You know, I, I, I still want to build that world out, but it takes a lot more people really present with those ideas. Because I sometimes forget people don't don't think like me until I have conversations. Right. Oh, wait, I'm like 10 steps over here. I need to break it down and be like, okay, what is the necessity for this? Right. What is the necessity for raising kids consciously? And when we start thinking about that, it's not just about what we want for our kids. It's also the way that we have to be living. It's really hard to convince people to live more presently and more consciously when they're so busy. Time is a privilege, right? And so people have X, Y, Z to get done. And we just need to have more of those conversations of like, how can we be conscious consumers? How can we spend our time in more presence? And instead, I was just talking to my brother last night and he's like, I don't have time to meditate. (laughs) I have so many things to try to manage and, you know, he, cause he's a pediatrician and, and, and um, he has two kids. And so he's trying to manage his family and w- working full time. And I told him this, cause I heard it on a podcast. It might've been Deepak Chopra who said it, but if anyone says they don't have time to meditate once a day, 
they're the type of people who should be meditating twice a day. <laughs> nice, nice, <laughs> Those nice. are the people who should be, yeah, meditating twice a day. So it's just like remembering that once we tap into that level of presence and really learn the ability of clearing out your mind, when you come back to your tasks, you're able to focus at one thing at a time and then it flows so much more naturally. Like you might get just as much done, if not more, but it happens with ease rather than with stress. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that definitely sounds like uh, someone who's very stressed if they say that, you know, that I can't meditate, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's like, you have yeah. to take that step back to like, like you said, like just figure out, okay, maybe I could do this in this other way and it would free up this thing or whatever. Because when you're just doing it, like with Shabbat, I always it's kind of bittersweet sometimes. Although I did remember one thing that happened last time because it was like Passover. So a double Shabbat where sometimes mm -hmm. it's triple, but if it falls close to Shabbat, depending, let's say it's Wednesday, so it would end Friday night, but that's already Shabbat. So you'd have three days where you can't use electronics or drive or like mm -hmm. do anything. Because of that, you're basically in this like more like meditative state. So you'll have all these ideas <laughs> and sometimes music or whatever that you want to write down, but you can't because I'm like, I can't write on Shabbat. So I was, my friend runs this um, ranch. It's like 160 acre ranch above Santa Barbara. This family mm -hmm. has. And there was this spring and I would just go there every day and just sit and meditate. And then this thought came to me. I'm trying to remember what it is right now. <laughs> but, I had to, but I'm like, I can't write this down. Like I don't have a phone. I can't like write, you know. So I just had to keep repeating it and, mm -hmm. and, and then it's cool because then you kind of live in it and you can like meditate on it more and you're like completely mm -hmm. present with it just to even be able to like bring it to the time where you can actually write something down. So I had to keep doing that. Um, and I think it was, I'm trying to remember, let me pull it up because I wrote it down. Now, at this point, it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, that state of whenever you are saying things over and over, that's where a lot of mantras or chants in, yeah. And it shows up in a lot of different religions and rituals and practices. But being able to chant something over and over is a way to be training your subconscious mind to shift a belief pattern. And that is like really um, deep mental work, actually. <laughs> so I love that that's a, that's a practice during Shabbat is not even being able to write things down because we sometimes outsource so much of our um, what we should be keeping in our mind but we're using technology and we're using paper and we're using this not that those things aren't good and we should use our resources but there's times where we should really practice using our minds and using the power of chanting and repetition and that's a big thing even in native cultures like when they would do storytelling the repetition within the stories is what would emphasize the important parts of it and um, even in my lineage, before there was anything written, storytelling um, was the way, I think it was the Puranas, the stories that would be passed down from sages and rishis to their um, disciples. And that was the way of passing on knowledge. Nice. Yeah. I feel like when you say it like that, I actually, it's something that I need to start implementing when I'm like sharing or giving over a class or whatever, because when I'll listen to other people and they are re-emphasizing or repeating certain things, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, why does he keep repeating or she like the same thing over and over? So when I speak, it's usually like way more brief because I'm not repeating or 
coming at the same concept or idea like over and over in different ways where a lot of people do that. But now I'm like thinking maybe I should because other people, they need that. Like they need to see it from a different way or just hear it a couple of times for it to even sink in. And I'm not like thinking enough about the other people that need it because I'm putting it together in a way that, okay, I don't want to be annoyed if I was the one listening and hearing yeah. like four different ways of saying the exact same thing, but maybe that actually is what I need to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, even just us having a conversation, that's a lot of us coming from our conscious mind. But when you start um, re like repeating and you put a beat to it and then it, you put music to it, music can sometimes take you into that hypnotic state. It's like deeper in your mind and you're more likely to remember if it has a tune and it has a rhythm to it. And so that's why I think a lot of the mantras do, with, um, do you know bhakti yoga or have you ever been yeah, to bhakti yeah. yoga? Where everyone's chanting together and you feel the energy of what you're saying even when so many people don't even know what they're saying. Right, right. So it's a way to reach like a part of your subconscious mind and get everyone on a similar frequency right. um, without just having conversations that are coming from here. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, pretty amazing. Pretty, <laughs> the science behind it is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's with King David and like the Psalms, the Tehillim, it's like said that there was like a northern wind that would come into his window at Hatsot, mm -hmm. which is midnight time, and would basically like play these melodies on the harp that he had, you know, and then he would compose all of like Psalms in that way. Mm -hmm. And also the prophets, a lot of the prophets would reach prophecy through just playing this repetitive rhythm you know mm -hmm. and then eventually like get lost in it and then that would create the state of prophecy so yeah so like, like, yeah so the line that yeah. i like came to me that i had to keep repeating was to reveal the redemption is one faithful step away from the missteps and misfortunes that conceal the ultimate truth mm, say it again. <laughs> to reveal the redemption is one faithful step away from the missteps and misfortunes that conceal the ultimate truth. Hmm. So meaning, so, yeah, no, I want you to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I see it more visually, like both are existing at once and they're right next to each other. Like illusion and truth are right next to each other. And you have to kind of be conscious in that to know which is truth and reality with a capital R and which is illusion. But I want to hear what you were yeah. saying. <laughs> that's yeah, just no, how that, I saw it. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's basically, so King Solomon, who wrote Proverbs and all these different books as well, Kohala, I don't know all of them in English. So he wrote like, everything is created like Zelu Mabze, like this, um, next to the other opposed to the other or whatever like everything has that equilibrium so like exactly like you said it's like there's the truth and then the illusion you're the one step away so the idea is the redemptive state to get to this space of consciousness of of expanse this expanded awareness and just connection unification with the divine and all that stuff it's literally just one step away because if you can be present and faithful as opposed to not present and fearful where you're worried about things that might not happen or have not happened mm -hmm. <laughs> or like thinking mm -hmm. about the past stuff that doesn't really serve you then those are like missteps and concentrations on misfortunes or however you want to view them just layers of disconnect but mm -hmm. yeah 
you're like one faithful step away from that space and then into this redemptive state. You know what I mean? So like, mm -hmm. if we could just continuously take those one faithful steps like over and over and over, then we can stay, like you said, in the space of truth rather than the illusions all the time. Mm -hmm. People think it's like this. I mean, you have to do your work and whatever, but it's like a lot of people are discouraged because they think it's going to be so much work. But if you look at it like just, just present and at every moment, then you can continuously choose to feel or to align in that way like over, mm -hmm. over or at any point you know yeah yeah is like from a psychology lens is how to stay receptive how to stay curious how to stay open and for that you do have to be really present to because the the world in form in in matter is also communicating too so to think that truth is somewhere like in a in a place where you're just meditating is also not to me it's not totally accurate it's that when you can reach that state and then you're working with the outside world too you'll see how there are signs and things in the present that are showing you that it is all just one yeah that's yeah. it it reminds me so when we're reading the torah the Bible, like, so it gets split. So every week we're reading and existing sort of in these stories and energies of that week. So this one's actually, well, we're reading this week's Acharemot and Kedoshim. So two portions, because sometimes they're read separately. Sometimes they're read together, as is this week. Kedoshim is my bar mitzvah parsha. But like, so the first one, it's talking about Aaron. So like Moses, his brother, Aaron, who's like the mm -hmm. kingly priest. So his mm -hmm. sons, Nadav and Avihu, they were basically taken from the world. And there's like this concept of which is to run in return. And it mm. plays out a lot in the Bible. Like basically there's another person, Korah, who like led the rebellion against Moses and was like, why do we have to do these sorts of things? Like, why do we have to have like a mezuzah, like this thing that Jews have, like that has the scripture writing on it, like on their doorpost, if you already have holy books and why do you have to wear like CC like these, fringes if you already have like this specific color in it or whatever like trying to get rid of certain things and he was basically trying to get to a space of pure spirituality without any of the actual action in this world and in mm -hmm. some ways he was it was said that he was swallowed by the earth and in some ways like looking at it as if you don't want to exist and elevate things on earth then you'll be swallowed by it the sons of our own they were like taken because they only wanted their souls to cling to God and the infinite. And they weren't connecting in a physical way with other people and bringing down spirituality and holy teaching, mm -hmm. or whatever. So they were also taken because they didn't master the show, which is the return. And yeah. Avram, like he, he's famous for bringing in all peoples of all different backgrounds and having his open home um, on the spirit chart, the tree of life is connected to Chesed. So loving kindness. Mm. And with him, the idea, it was that he would like master the show like he was he was able to tap fully on the highest level of spirituality but not in a sense that it's like let my soul ascend on the highest levels and let me you know be me and the creator and the source and like whatever mm -hmm. he was actually right. continuously bringing that in and leading by example by having this open home and bringing mm -hmm. all people together so that he can shine his light and elevate 
people and like learn with them and feed them and do these commandments. Absolutely. Kind of like the example of mastering that. Yeah, I love that. And it's so, you know, like these things are not inherent knowings. They have to be taught. And you're a father and I work with children a lot. So even if they might be growing up with certain spiritual practices, how to commune with earth and how to connect in an authentic way with each other is something that needs to be intentionally taught. So I'm trying to, I'm just switching gears a little bit back into the education yeah. thing, but even making a part of education, talking about air and our reciprocal relationship with nature of, okay, we receive oxygen, we give carbon dioxide. That is such a good example that kids understand of just reciprocity to begin with. And then what it looks like to be eating whole foods and know where our foods come from and then learn about the process of composting and knowing that we can also be giving our waste back to the earth that can be regenerating and then it provides nutrients for us and how that reciprocal nature is a part of living on earth and when you really understand your place in that it helps ground more into this life why earth why here why now why this yeah. dimension at this time in the multiverse so just really building that relationship with nature and then for the connection piece of how to connect with other people especially kids they get into arguments on the playground or they might develop this idea of like this kid is mean to me or the enemy and just learning how to take that spiritual lesson of love thy neighbor or you know when you just know that your enemy is actually your greatest teacher and how to use examples of even conflict for how to learn better about our own emotional states and then how to communicate them in a way that we we are still grounded and feeling safe this is a lot for kids you know it's hard for them to be able to do this but that's why intentionally teaching one how to be aware of your own emotions two how to communicate that and three, like the goal should be peace. The goal should yeah. be peace, peace and harmony, whether it's with nature, whether it's with each other, whether it's our own mental states. Yeah, 100%. I'm just reminded of that Khalil Gibran line, but I, God said, love your enemy. Mm -hmm. So I obeyed him and loved myself. You know, it's like such a, such a good line. But it also reminds me, you were asking about the Deepak talk that I did last week or whatever. But because when you're talking about that and the importance of, bringing this to kids early on and all these things mm -hmm. that are so important that often people don't really come to to like way later in life or I don't know maybe 30s 40s whatever but usually we're on such a hustle mode and we're not really thinking about all these other things that later are going to be important for our mental health you know mm -hmm. but also when you mentioned when you're growing up and then somebody says this certain thing to you and then you're feeling you know judging it bad and thinking they're your mm -hmm. enemy or whatever like feeling these sorts of things that's like when that gets perpetuated and Deepak was like, if we were, we were talking about the different, he was very interested in Kabbalah and how it relates to different practices and teachings and different religions that he's come across. And then at one point he asked me like a very heavy question. He was just like, so if all these different religions and people have this similar wisdom, seeing this as it's written in Kabbalah, or like in the Torah, then like, why is there so much hatred and war, you know? And I'm just like, okay, I should be asking him that, not him asking me, but. Well, yeah, what is your I, answer? I'm curious. 
I mean, I was, it's similar, like what we're talking about. I think that, you know, if everybody had, you know, what you're trying to do, this conscious curriculum and having people have these tools and different exposure and teachings like early on, then, you know, we'd be that much better for it. But a lot of people, that isn't really the structure of how people are being taught. I think in some religious schooling, you know, and even within that, sometimes it's like, guilt and this and that it's not even the like the love part so even that could be really bad you know so mm -hmm. it's like a mix of either how they're being brought up religiously or not religiously but i think you know physicality is like the thing that separates us it's the soul and spirituality is the one it's the unifying thing you know mm -hmm. and there isn't often enough connected to that in like a loving beautiful way you know a lot of times it's like the weight of the obligation or the guilt or whatever, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I think because of that, it's like everybody in some ways like starts from zero. So they come to these, so they're born and then these different things happen and they feel disconnected or they're like fear of this or that or the other. And mm -hmm. then it's like later on, depending, they find these things that they're tapped more into like the spiritual truth that actually unify us. And, but that happens like always at different times different stages in people's lives so it's like mm -hmm. we keep like sometimes missing each other yeah so yeah i mean it's i knew you know i don't know what the answer is but i'm saying it's like a combination of so many of these things that are like keep us like disconnected and and in this thing i feel like god looking like how many thousands of years are we you guys are still like dealing with the same crap and completely like hating each other and scared and this and that like it's so crazy you know yeah I mean, the way that I think about that is that people have learned how to, they get their power, their inner power from outside places. They've externalized their power. So they think power is money or status or validation. And this starts yeah. from, with kids from a young age. And until people can really take that and understand that our power is self-generated, by knowing that we are inherently worthy, that is where it starts. Because if someone believes that they're inherently worthy, they're not trying to come into life and prove something and get power from people. Because oftentimes in a capitalistic society that happens through exploitation. And as long as that keeps happening, it couldn't happen without someone believing separation, you know? You can't be in a non-reciprocal relationship with something and just exploit or extract and not feel separation. So it contributes to it. It's like a cycle. So until that power is self-generated and people really know that they are worthy, that they are enough, that they are loved and know that from the inside, I don't know if that shift can happen. And so then the focus I think really needs to be in mental health and affirmative self-talk, which kids are so wonderful at it. We start every single morning in my classroom with affirmations. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing. It's not just something cute that we're doing. It's literally they're in the age range between zero and seven where their subconscious programming for the rest of their life is going to be the default, even as they're adults. When they can rely back on those affirmations, when they're in a hard moment and they can rely back on the affirmations that we say and repeat every day, that is going to be able to change the trajectory of their life versus yeah. if they didn't have that. No, 100%. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, where? 
people should just donate to this project that you have going on. <laughs> like, I feel like you're so good at, you know, like just articulating and it's like, so it just touches the heart, you know? But it also reminds me, I was talking to my friend, Yonatan Perry. He's like amazing. He's just, He's just like this epic Chabad rabbi, but also like rapper. We actually, he jumped on stage when I opened up for Little Dicky. He's just like really such an amazing person. His wife, Meira, and the kids are, they're dope. But he just sent me, there's this Hasidic master of the Magid and Mezrich. He, and he talks about this one line from the Talmud, from Mishnah, which is like the oral Bible, the oral Torah. So in Judaism, it's like the written is like what people know is like the Old Testament. That's like the Torah. And mm -hmm. then that's the written one. And then the oral Torah is like, literally like exactly half like it's just as important it's just like it was oral and then at the destruction of the first temple it became written down but anyway mm -hmm. there's this one line in it which is like no can you say that so, so i can repeat it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> da no ma what da, no, ma what da is like no and then ma is what um okay, and then lamala uh, is like above and then mimecha grammatically it's interesting because it says mimecha like know what is above you so it's like mm -hmm. know what's greater than you but grammatically it's written in hebrew like from within you so it's like above mm. but from within really understanding that it's like okay fine know the source the creator the light it's above you but the way that it's written because it's like above you from within then it's like no this exists within your godly soul, you know? And mm, you just told me this, that. like, yeah, like literally like an hour ago. And then when you were speaking, I was like, it reminded me of that line. I was like, that's so nuts. Cause yeah. I totally tapped into that. And he literally just told me that. Yeah, I <laughs> love that. I love going back and looking at the way that things are translated. My dad is actually um, doing translation work. He's doing his second PhD right now in Arabic translation, oh, which I love. Yeah, so and so, yeah, I, I love that so much. So much of my um, passion comes from him because he's always been a lifelong learner, always nice. taking classes like he's almost 70. But um, anyway, like in, in physics, the visual I get is like just of the unified field, how we are existing in the unified field of existence. So it's like so within so without as above so below it exists everywhere and we as bodies are just within it so it's hard to even find the right words to explain whether it's above or whether it's <laughs> within because sometimes when people have the exact definition they'll think it's right there you know right. they'll think like yeah. oh it's above so it must be outside of me oh it's within so it doesn't exist without in, in a way sometimes overly defining something for someone who is not expanded and knowing that, okay, there could be different ways to define this. Sometimes the semantics can get in the way of understanding. So I love going back and looking at translations and even seeing how different translations can lead to different meanings. Yeah, that's dope. It reminds me, this is like such a, it's like even hard to break down this concept, but, um, the Alter Rebbe, he's like this Hasidic master who wrote Tanya, which is the book of the in-betweeners. So it's basically the concept of like righteousness, the in-betweener or like the sinner or whatever, you know, but like, so we strive to be the in-betweener, which towards the righteousness, but whatever, I, it's like hard to break down. I don't know, I like know it more in Hebrew, but he has this one um, chapter where he talks about 
the light and describing God is concealed because God or the light is everything. So it's like, we can't even tell because we're completely surrounded by it. Mm -hmm. And he uses this sort of analogy of the sun, the globe. If we were inside the sun, mm -hmm. then we wouldn't be able to see light. Like we wouldn't even know that we're inside the sun or what the sun is because we're completely, it's all that it is. You know, there's nothing to contrast it. So we'd have no idea that it's even that. Mm -hmm. But like, if we're not in the sun, then when the sun comes and the sun goes away, we have that, like we're able to have that distinction and even see that there's a sun that exists because it's not always there, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he's like comparing that to God. My friend David Sachs has like a joke that, uh, <laughs> I'm probably gonna butcher it because I'm horrible at jokes, but like it's like <laughs> these two fish that are like arguing about what, like they're just surrounded by water and they're like arguing about water and they're like all like thinking and like trying to be all deep and they're like, yeah, I think my grandfather believed in water, you know? <laughs> and it's like, it's like basically we're like completely surrounded by divinity and light, but like, because it's all encompassing in a way, like we're not able to distinguish or like actually see it. So it's in mm -hmm. concealment. But when we do, when we do connect to it and when we're tapped into like the spiritual side, cause it's like our soul and body are at odds, you know? So the idea is to like use the body towards spiritual pursuits. Mm -hmm. But when we're tapped into that, the higher we are tapped into it, then the more it's called like in Hebrew, libushim, which are like the garments that conceal the godly light or klipot, mm -hmm. which are like the shells that conceal godly light. So those are pretty heavy then they become heavier when you're connected to physicality at the expense of spirituality. But when you're connected to spirituality and using the physicality towards that, then you're actually, you start to pull back these layers of disconnect of, of these garments and you start to reveal more of the concealment of the light. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, which is what yoga is to me. It's that all-encompassing practice of being able to meditate and reach that level of having vision through the sight of the third eye and seeing beyond yeah. the form. And then actually meditating and then integrating through a physical practice into the body. It's like a physical integration of like these mindful poses right after powerful meditations are actually helping take that knowledge down from my conscious mind into my unconscious body mind, which is also a part of the mind. And then it just affects the way that I walk in the, in the world. And that part is really important too, because in a lot of spiritual spaces, even orthodox religions or when you're around um, philosophers or people who are just speaking of concepts there's a difference between just being able to speak about something and then fully embodying it and living it yeah that's what so coming back to the Ratsova show it's like mastering the ascent and the descent you know like when you feel like you're connecting and you're focused on yourself even if you're finding like the spiritual state and you feel totally aligned like you said like you have to be able to bring that out into the world to other people it's not like you if you're becoming selfish and feeling great about it, it's like, nah, dude, that, that's not the point. And there, the concept, the most important thing with, so there's this famous teaching that somebody comes to Rabbi Hillel in the Talmud and asks, like, teach me all of, like, Judaism and Torah, like, on one foot. So first he asks, like, all these other people and Beit Shammai, which is, like, the other house and school of thought. And Beit Hillel was like, yeah, okay, I'll teach you. And he's like, do unto others as you'd want unto yourself. And the biggest concept in Judaism, it is like Derech Eretz, Kadma Torah. So Derech Eretz is basically like 
treating other people and doing the right thing at all times. Kadma, which means like precedes the Torah or is more important than the Torah. And that's why Hillel was saying that element of always doing the right thing and caring about other people more so than yourself even mm-hmm. is, is the t- like he was like, I can teach you it on one foot. This is more important than the other stuff. The other stuff is only for this. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So that's, that's the thing that sometimes gets lost in religion and people forget. Like they're so concentrated on their own elevation or feeling good about it. There's the concept of lishma, which is like for the sake of light or unification and not for your own sake. So if you're like learning all these concepts for your own sake and for intellectual pursuits or feeling good, it's actually like none of that, can, like that, that like goes against it. You may as well not. Yeah. You're supposed to do it lishma for the sake of the unification of all things. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the Derech Eretz Kadma of the Torah, like in every religion and in everything you ever do, is such like an important concept that it's like all of that other stuff that you feel good about, it has no value unless you're a good person and you're putting it to perfect all of the people around you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see that in mystical aspects of so many religions, like Sufism, and I've learned so much from you as well. And I think... Um, creating orthodox systems around religion and convincing them that you have to go through a church or through a mosque or through a priest or something to be able to um, reach this heaven state is the control that that group needs in order to stay as an exclusive structure and create and maintain separation and so kind of like that analogy you were saying before of if we are in the sun then that is the only thing that exists and it's within everything but some of these the holy texts are are of course holy but a lot of the people who interpret them and create exclusive religions and and practice them in very orthodox ways without leaving any room for creativity are the people also responsible for maintaining separation? Yeah, I mean, in any like a lot of times people look at like, I don't understand this person's orthodox and they're acting like this. It's like, if someone hasn't fixed those things within themselves, an asshole, whether they grew up in this thing and consider themselves that, like if they haven't done the work, they're, they're like an asshole still, you know what I'm saying? Like, so they're acting like that because they haven't internalized all these things, you know, they just happen to be born into it or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, but we also have to like bring compassion somehow you know to each other as well and just kind of judge favorably somehow like okay well they you know maybe this and this happened so we're like interpreting it in this way or whatever but yeah (laughs) all you know complicated stuff but yeah and everything um, with compassion you're right i gotta jump to like all this other stuff but i'm glad we got to like do this you know yeah that's good (laughs) Yeah, I still have nice. to, uh, <laughs> haven't even edited those videos and used them, but I'm going to, oh and I appreciate <laughs> you, because <laughs> it was no, so for sure. I really do appreciate you for that, but yeah, it was nice having this moment to tap in. I'll probably see you at some point next week, and we'll stay yeah, connected. Hopefully. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, right. amazing. Thanks see for you. everyone who joined. All right. Yeah. Peace. Bye.